0: You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. All right, so hey, thank you for being on the podcast. I know I was laughing to myself thinking about talking with you because I love Judy Peterson here uh, that one of the things that you are so avid about or adamant about is not being on social media. And I love that about you. (laughs) I love that. I'll put this out into the world. You'll probably never listen to it and never share it, but people will get to hear about your life and your story, which I continually say needs to be a movie. I've said that to her. So Judy and I have been talking, I don't know, for the past year uh, on some of a regular basis. And I think I've pitched her to make a movie three times. She's like, nah, not interested. That's fine. She's doing, she's doing, (laughs) she's doing her life. And we're going to talk about it today, because it is is—it is truly a big story. It is truly the reason why I keep thinking it should be a movie. It feels so important. It feels so meaningful. And although you'd probably say it's just you being human, life. you doing you, you doing life. <laughs> so where in the world um, do you want to start off? I guess I think I would start off by...
1: Hey, wait! Are we already recording? Like, this is it?
0: This is it. Do like, need... people
1: just heard all my babble.
0: <laughs> Do you, we can cut no? And... We can cut all that all that crap out if you want. It's kind of fun to add that because that's <laughs> human. Okay. It's human. Um Geez, I thought
1: I was just talking to my friend. This is what a okay. <laughs> now I really am going to be wise. And no, like no, no. Now you just got to
0: still be you. You got to still be you. That that's okay, what yeah, makes got, it got, good. Got, I'm okay. So. We we are connected because I forget, when did you start my alma mater, North Park University? When did you start being the chaplain there?
1: I started there in 2006.
0: 2006. But I had
1: done quite a bit of preaching there prior to that. Because you were doing so seminary I, at yeah, that point in, when I was there. I was in seminary from 2000, no, from 1996 to 2001. Right.
0: Okay. So that's where we met because I was yeah. at North Park University, which is a Chicago university doing some undergraduate work there. I graduated in 98. So I was there for a couple years overlapping you. And that's how I met you. You preached. uh, You were a very large, significant presence in the spiritual life of of students as a seminary um, student. And then you did this amazing, crazy thing where you decided to walk across the country. Let's start there. How about that? Okay. What, what in the world? You were at North Park University studying yeah. theology, and then all of a sudden something sort of an invitation comes your way to do, do this walking tour of the country. Talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I think
1: what to, to to lead up to that, when I came to seminary, I uh, my most previous – the job I was working, was I was bartending and cocktail waitressing, and I had had a pretty radical turnaround in my life. I grew up around the church. Like I never didn't believe in Jesus, you know you know, hung out by the camel in the manger. You know, like, I thought he was real, Mm -hmm. but there wasn't much evidence of that in my life. And then I had this pretty significant shift where, you know, I quit sleeping with my boyfriend and quit drinking and forgave everybody and did that. And, and in the process really felt called to figure out, man, how do I tell everybody else about Jesus? And so I went and applied for seminary and I didn't even know the books of the Bible, definitely not in order at that <laughs> point. But I, I knew that, you know, they asked me, what's the nature of your calling? And I'm like, oh man, I want to be a waitress that knows a lot about Jesus. <laughs> and like I didn't have any I don't know i I fell in love with the person of Jesus. Yeah. I mean like in love in and because I found he loved me and I so anyway, i when I in seminary, you have to do an internship, and I had um watched all these people go and serve in a church and you know they 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 do a sermon, they they plan youth events, they come up with a theme for something I don't know and I, I I wasn't it wasn't that super compelling because most of my friends like Izzy and Hugo and guy and Buck and all these people that work that were at the place of my employment they weren't gonna go to church and so yeah. that had already been rumbling around in there that that perhaps I wasn't the pastor who wanted to know a lot of, or the, the waitress that wanted to know a lot about Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, it was probably, some of this was probably written in the cards a little bit, but but I was praying one day, sitting in a chair, and I'd been praying for a couple hours, which is pretty rare for me, especially at that time, and um, when I got up, feeling guilty because I had so much to do, uh, you know, homework, I was working, I had a boyfriend, a dog, laundry, undoubtedly. Um I, 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 felt guilty that, that I had wasted so much time and I, I wasted I so much time
0: praying. Story. You felt guilty? Yes. About yeah.
1: Like yeah. what a waste, right? And the, in the concept of what even am I doing? Yeah. You know, I'm kind of, I mean, really what, what are we doing? Right. I mean, it's just like, it's such a crazy thing. I, I mean, I believe in prayer, but at that time it was really new for me and felt like I got stuff to do. And, um, I, when I, when I, when I stood up, I experienced the spirit's voice saying, if you don't know how to be with me, you have no business doing anything for me. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it's very easy to teach ourselves and to teach other people to do Christian things. It's very difficult to teach people to be with God. And, Mm -hmm. and so I said, you know, I prayed in my very naive, um, (laughs) <laughs> eight in the Enneagram, like, hmm. let's go sort of, God, I'll do anything to know what it is to be with you. And you have to be a little bit of careful because God's kind of into anything, <laughs> but it wasn't, um, long after that, I was eating Lou Malnati's pizza with oh, my such boyfriend, good pizza. Uh, <laughs> right? And crust pepperoni. Oh, that crust. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I, I told him we'd been dating a couple months. And I said, I'm so tired of doing Christian things already. I want to learn how to be with God. I'm going to walk across America. And it wasn't anything I'd ever thought of doing. I wasn't physically fit really then, still not very much. Um, I never read a book about it. But sometimes when you speak things out, you find that they live in a way that they wouldn't have if you hadn't vocalized them. And Mm. I went to my professor the next day and I said, "Um, Jerry, do you think God could ask someone to walk across America? And he said, yeah, I think God asked you. And I'm like, you do not like a county or a date. No, the whole thing. And so he said, write it up for your proposal for your internship. And I said, I don't know what it is. And he said, write what you know. And I think these are probably the three things that have stuck with me over time. But I, I said, I feel called to walk with God, not just people who know God, but I want to know how to walk. With God. I want to learn how to walk with whoever he puts in my path without me choosing whom I have a preference for. And I want to go to the uh, the church at that time and help them do just those two things. And and I think much of my life has, uh, it would still be summarized that I like that. I, because I walk with whomever God puts in my path, I'm also often seen as progressive or breaking boundaries, but I'm way too in love with Jesus and too crazy in love with scripture and the resurrection of the dead and all of that sort of stuff for a lot of my progressive friends. But, um, uh, but I'm, I'm way too, um, progressive for most of my conservative friends so it's but i think that's what happens if you walk with god and walk with whomever he places in your path hmm. uh, i think it, it, it probably doesn't look probably as neat as it does if you just do an internship in a church yeah <laughs> i mean it's great and a lot of people are called to it but but i think it does tend to put up some uh, preconceived ideas about what things can and can't be
0: so when you do did- i
1: think lots of things.
0: Wait, what'd <laughs> you say? What'd you say? I think
1: it can, it could be lots of things that we haven't imagined yet. Oh my gosh, And so yeah. I, I just love that sort of journey.
0: So in some, in some cool, like uh, idyllic way though, when you did that, even though it seemed so crazy and so interesting, it did propel you into a place of like, wow, Judy Peterson really follows Jesus. Judy <laughs> Peterson, oh, you almost became like this poster child for this is what it looks like in a, in a, in a good way. But in some ways, uh, do you feel like that challenged you even more? Because like, I love that you're aware of these labels, but in some way, you don't like the labels. You know what I mean? So how did, that, how did you process that? Like, You don't want to be in the spotlight, but you are a storyteller and a pastor and a preacher. How do you walk through all that craziness?
1: Well, I do think some of the mercy, like right right when I finished, there were some invitations to write a book uh-huh. after I finished the walk. And I thought that'd be so awesome. There's so many great stories. <laughs> but I, I really I really felt like at the time that God said no. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really figure that out. And mm-hmm. so I okay, you know, and um Uh, but I think there was a a real privilege in that of, of just continuing to what does it look like to just walk it out day to day and, and to do it, not because anybody's watching, not because anybody cares, but because it's who you are. And, and, um, it's not, it's not your job, but it's the calling to be who you is. So you don't end up who you ain't sort of thing. And I, I, and so I, I, I am so grateful for that. I also think, and and I think you know this, but in that end of that season, I would have written a book that like, if you follow God, it's all awesome. You have these great stories. And, you know, I left with $400 for that year. I never asked to be paid. I never sent out a support letter and I never had need of anything. You know, I, I, I packed a tent. and I camped out four nights. I People took me into their homes every night of the walk, even though I didn't plan any of it. And, um, you know, everything worked and, and it was, it was, I, I can't deny that it was, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. But then I went through this season where my, I, I got married to that um, boyfriend from Lou Malnati's. Mm-hmm. I didn't meet him at Lou Malnati's, but that pizza story. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then over the next, um, 10, 10 years or decade, we had 11 pregnancy losses, um, and three that we delivered mid pregnancy, and um, man, I was doing everything mm. right. I was mm. following God, and and then it didn't work out, and in the way I thought. And so, I do think the grace of not writing that book mm. is 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 the ability for your formula to change, or for the formulas to die, and and for you to continue to. Uh, keep God far outside of a box. I think people hold you to things you post. We all know this, right? Mm-hmm. Things you post or tweet, or that yeah, yeah. um, you have to be that way forever. And I, yeah. I think. But wait, I met new people on the side of the road. Oh, I man. experienced more yeah. of God, and so I think that's been sort of the grace: is that in in not as up at this up to this point. Um, finalizing anything, but instead just staying in a journey of something mm-hmm. rather than saying, this is what God did say, this is how God does. Yeah. Um, there's been a grace in that for me. I don't know if that answered your question. Well,
0: I, I resonate with that too. Uh, you didn't say this, this language, but I kind of hear it. Like when we talk about God sometimes in the seasons of our life, um, I'm gravitating toward like the way I experience God now. <laughs> you know, it's right. very different than a way I was experiencing God ten years ago. And the way that I experience Scripture or the way I read Scripture now is very different, partly because of who I'm experiencing and how others right. are experiencing God. And so I very much appreciate that. You know, it's almost I mean, this is an extreme, but who's that guy that wrote the book? Uh, I kiss Dating Goodbye. Um, oh, yeah.
1: I, I never kissed dating goodbye, so I don't know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, he just recanted all of it, right? He just, you know, however, that was like 20 years ago, I think he saw dating in Scripture and being a follower of Jesus in a very certain way. And now he's like recanting it, you know what I mean? And so I really appreciate that he had the guts to do that, that he's like, you know, what, I used to see it like this and now I see it like that. So in some cool way, you were, you were saved from going, not everything always works out, you know, all the time. And I, I really appreciate that. But you, but yeah. you've been, you've been marked in a way that walking with people and then walking through your own pain continues to be something that is the story you're telling and the story you're living.
1: Yeah. Right. That's true. And I, I love story and you know that, and I, this is why if, if we ever do a movie, I'm not against Oh, you just story, said if. <laughs> because I, I love the I love story and I I love the story of God and I love the way he continues or she continues to, to unfold our stories in a way Mm -hmm. that, um, yeah. And I think when we can parabolize our story, when we can take it and live in it deeply enough and then offer our story to someone else where it could have meaning, it's not just about us needing to be heard, but us offering in a story of a way God could work. Mm I love that. And, um, I, I don't, Again, I think a little bit of my fear is why I'm not on any social media yet either I, I mean, I've managed to avoid that. Isn't that crazy? I never signed into Facebook. I not so when, envy you to be honest I, I, I the freedom um, the freedom of not having followers is the yeah. freedom to, to follow yeah and um and I think when we develop followers, we then feel they we're taking our cues almost entirely from them. Um, and I, I I, get that. Uh, up until now, I've enjoyed the freedom of following and not having followers. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, interesting. You might not have official Instagram or Facebook followers, but you have people who are following you. I'm following you, and I appreciate how <laughs> you're living you. your life and <laughs> followed you for the past couple of decades because we've you know, intersected at these cool spaces. But so let's go back. So after... The walk, you get married, you go through, and thank you for sharing. I know you've shared that so many times publicly about all the the miscarriages and the birthing, and it's so painful to hear. But I know you've also been integral in so many people's understanding of God and God's grace through that, Uh, and you've been so significant to students, to young adults at North Park University. You were a chaplain from 06, you said? Yeah, 06. 06 to 2017? So that's a good chunk of time uh, of influencing uh, young adults' uh, lives and helping people understand and, and walk with God. And so let's go, let's go there because sure. uh, that place, that community, that physical location in Chicago was super meaningful for me and the friends that I made there. Um, what was life like for you there? And why did you feel so comfortable and called and why was that so special to you to be a chaplain Uh, after those four years of people's lives.
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that's interesting is my my job. I changed my job title my first year from chaplain to campus pastor mm. because we are an open enrollment school, and we have um, we have Muslim students and Hindu students and Buddhist students and definitely post Christian students. And I wanted to be clear that I was a Christian pastor mm. that that in my whole context and my frame of reference was walking with Jesus, and I didn't want people to feel like bait and switch, mm. like you think you're coming into a child one that's going to guide you in whatever spirituality you want, and then you know I'm manipulating you into just this narrow Jesus window. Yeah. Um, but the truth was, is the Jesus window is the one that I, I that's the window through which I'm yeah. experiencing the world, and, and and that I I believe I'll continue to always experience the world. So, so anyway, as the campus pastor there, one of the gifts was having. I had four pregnancy losses prior to coming to North Park, and those were three out of those four children were the ones that we delivered, and so contended with deliveries and burials and and this sort of thing. and And it was during that time that my husband said, Um why don't you uh, go and' and consider this job that's being offered to you as um, a campus pastor. And, and I, I went in as an interim and I said, I'll come in part time. Um, this isn't going to be what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was going to be a mom. This is, mm. you know, and I know, I'm not saying you can't do both, but I think I had a what was going to be full-time and what was going to be part-time view. And, but I it just ended up being the exact kind of story that God tells, that, mm. that um, somebody who is not parenting traditionally yeah. uh, ends up in community with a significant amount of people who really need a pastorant is what I called myself, half half pastor, (laughs) half parent, you know. They need to know how to sew on a button and how to cook a meal, and they need to know how to break up with their boyfriends and reconcile with their parents. Um, They need to find God, but they also need to find uh, what it is to be unconditionally loved. And Mm. I I was exceptional at that work Mm. in creating um, a space for a whole human being and just loved that process or uh, one of the questions y- you put on the, Hey, here's something I might ask you thing was, um, who are you and why are you here? Yeah. And, and I, I had said, man, what would be the words I would use? And, and I, I thought, Oh, I'm a ranch hand working for a good shepherd, um, and caring for a flock, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but really it's because it's like this really embodied fleshy, job title. Like I'm a great preacher. I love theology. I'm a good thinker. Um, But I love like getting that out of my head and shaking it down into my Mm. walking self. And so like helping people find a place of contentment where they shall not want green pastures and still waters that restore people's souls, helping guide people down right paths that point to God, walking people through valleys of death, where they learn how not to fear because God is there. Uh, learning how to sit with your enemies and still be blessed, Mm. learning how to walk like goodness and mercy is at your heels, hopefully convincing people wherever they are, they can be in the house of the Lord, you know, like, like this sort of real embodied stuff I think works well in a residential university because you're getting to live with uh, people. So it was a, I mean, just a, a remarkably beautiful place for me to do work and, Um, you know North Park has changed a little bit since you were there but they've really pushed into what it is to be urban and intercultural and so I I also was just gifted with so many good teachers in students and faculty and guests and in my community so I I think I in walking with whomever God placed in my path uh, I was gifted to be shaped as much as I was shaping so it was a really rich time
0: I love it totally agree that residential life is a great uh, reminder of the incarnation, right? Like Jesus, God becoming human. <laughs> like you live in the yeah. dorms and you live on campus and you're seeing these people all the time. <laughs> they're best and they're worst. It's not just a Sunday. You know, you see them right. all the time. And yeah. I know you've had significant impact with, and you also um, would continue to preach and be sort of a pastor at large within the denomination. So let's get to some of the, the, the meat of what you're going through right now, um, because I remember, and then I'm sure you do too, because this is what a phrase you often use. You were instrumental in kind of helping me change my theology. Uh, you know, I look back to all these different little points when I was starting to understand how to read Scripture and how do we read these challenging parts of Scripture, especially when it comes to references of homosexuality. And I was doing young adult ministry, college student ministry in California, and still wildly connected to North Park would occasionally come back or we'd see each other in the denominational circuits. And I remember when you would tell a story of a kid who came out, there's many, many stories like that, but whatever one you had told at this point, and you said to the kid, kid being college student, and they said, what do I do? And the kids said, you know, I'm gay or right. whatever the language they use at the time. I have same sex attraction, whatever. You had this phrase and I, I might botch it, but it's something like this. You just be the best gay Jesus loving follower that you can, or something that, to that effect. And I remember, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Right. And, you, and I remember when you said that either publicly or to me or something, cause I would, you know, we'd have these conversations and I remember thinking, that is so crazy. Like, I could get in trouble if I say that, you know, like I have, we like, but you're like, what, what, what's the problem with that? Like, if that's who they are, let just go after Jesus with who you are. And I remember it was so profound and provocative that, you know, it was almost like untouchable. I had to kind of like, I don't think I can do that. That can't be me. But then, you know, years later as I was wrestling through with my own stories with people walking, you know, in their sexuality and then my best friend, Matt, and coming to this place of going, Oh, Judy, you were so far ahead. <laughs> you were such an early adopter, <laughs> and those words came back, and now I get it. Now I totally understand. So talk about that, because I know those words. I'm, you know, clarify if I got it wrong, but were um, both really meaningful and powerful in your journey as a pastor, but also painful uh, as you walked through how to be a pastor to the gay community, to the LGBTQ students that you were interfacing with.
1: Well, again, I I think one of the very gracious mercies of Jesus is that I I was, um, you know, I I wasn't the worst of sinners. But, like, I I knew Christ's rescue, and I've continued to be well aware of my own limitations, my Mm -hmm. own, in evangelical terms, my own sinfulness, my Mm -hmm. own propensity to— not be all that God would have me to be. And so I think that forever that has, um, leaning into the mercy and grace of Jesus has been a necessity for me, not something that I get to add on because I was good. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, I think that, uh, when, when, when God told me I was one of his favorites, just like everybody else, you know, I, I just, I, I wanted the healing that that provided for me in an as is sort of way. Uh, I wanted to offer that to anybody I could meet. So what, what I think is so painful is that when any of us feel like our front foot has to be, would you love me? Mm-hmm. And, and that that's our first question relationally, like, what if we could go through life and we could assume people would love us? Mm -hmm. Most of us wouldn't put on layers and layers of mess before we have to undo all the layers of mess. And so for so many of the LGBTQ students that were at North Park University, um, it it became known that I was this gracious human being. And so people began to, to call me on that you know what, I'm preaching all this grace and mercy, like for real, are we all God's favorites like everybody else, if you're going to say that. And so so students very quickly began to unpack the fullness of their lives at North Park. And so whether that be, I have an abusive parent, my uh, my mom is mentally ill, I battle mental illness, I struggle with pornography or masturbation, or I steal, or Whatever I hate myself, I'm self injuring, whatever that was, those were like first conversations out of the gate, you know. And I think, man, when you just love people, you get to do ministry fast, yeah. And I think that was my experience, and so that was true for LGBTQ students as well. That this, because they'd been raised in the church, most a lot of these students, um, this was. The deepest, darkest they had to share, which I think is a very sad thing. But this was the deepest, darkest. And they would often sit in my office and, you know, look around the room and hem and ha and and then, um, you know, Pastor Judy, I think I'm gay. And oftentimes I would say, oh, how are you discerning that? Mm. Because I, I would say, you know, you, you don't get to just go hook up with people to confirm that. I, I know you want to, but you're a follower of Christ. Mm. And so you have to go into the throne room of Jesus and you have to ask him if you're gay. <laughs> and, and if he says you're gay, then then you have to ask him, what kind of gay person do you want me to be? Mm. And and I think just be that. And, and so I think for myself, I don't. Um, I don't know, most of this feels like above my pay grade, but what I do know is the love and mercy of Christ and, um, that good news of great joy for all people, all I don't think is negotiable. So I, I just keep doing that. But I, but indeed I had then the privilege of being in relationship with hundreds of young adults and individuals who uh, identify, um, as lgbtqia plus and mm-hmm. um and they loved jesus and i saw the spirit of god work in their lives and they were on my teams and they led worship and they served the poor and they led their friends to jesus and and so it truthfully became such a non it just became life Normal. i don't want to say it became a non-conversation yeah. but i think uh, it was a continual conversation because freshmen continue to come in from conservative evangelical settings, feeling like they hate them. if they hate themselves enough, they could be loved. You know. Yeah. And I just chose to love them and try to love away that hate. I think. Mm.
0: So is it is what is it like now? I mean, for some listeners, they'll know, but um, this has sort of become an ad, a place of advocacy for you, really, right? I mean, you have become a pastor advocating and allying, is that a word, for the LGBTQ community. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, well, inevitably, I think that pastors, uh, all pastors, all religious leaders, maybe all people that identify with some sort of God, maybe let me even take out the hierarchical ecclesiological piece, but people should be able to call you on what you say. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Don't say stuff you don't mean or you don't want to do. I'm tired of that. Or just be honest if you're not ready. Like, I'm greedy. I don't want to give away my money. Don't (laughs) then preach generosity in your little preacher sneakers, you know? I just can't. (laughs) Have you heard about that,
0: that preacher sneakers thing?
1: (laughs) Okay, I'm not on any social media, but... Even in that, people like screenshot stuff, and they're like, "Pastor Judy, you'll love this." Oh
0: man, so you funny. should have
1: been the 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 sneaker preacher, Pastor. You wore wore out uh, eleven pairs of shoes walking across the U.S. You're you're deserving of some nice ones, you know. But um, but anyway, I and so again, when you when you preach, when I preach or when I proclaim the good news of God with my life or wherever I'm at from the pulpit, I think. Um, I would always, in wrestling and manuscripting, like, do I want to live this? Because mm-hmm. if I don't, don't say it. Mm-hmm. So when I was um, talking about that we should let go of our power on behalf of any marginalized population, that we would, we should stand with anybody who is feeling um, left out or lost or betrayed or wounded, uh, we should always leave the 99 for the one. Um, when— when i when you preach that then eventually people should say okay let me see you do it mm. and the truth is it's crazy but but social justice and 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 caring for the poor is the is kind of like the baseline for the gospel the, the fact that this has become like ooh i'm doing this this was like the lived life of the early church um and really, it doesn't cost us anything at this point. You're just the cool person now doing justice. Mm. People get rich off of doing justice. Mm. And so I, I, I don't know if I think that is leaving the 99 for the one. I think it's doing justice, and I think we should all be doing it. But what is it, or how do we develop that peace in us that says, um, oh, we're in Holy Week, so this would, this would be great. So to endure, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. See, like the enduring the cross piece, people have to endure the cross. Not even, They don't even elect to do that. People are in pain and going through difficult things and being wrongly incarcerated. Like, they have to figure out how to do that. But despising, it's shame. I've been very intrigued by that. Mm. Like, what does it mean to actually not just go through pain, um, no matter how much pain it is, but to actually learn how to despise uh, the fact that, that um, people are ashamed of you. Like, what does it look like? to I say, duh, I despise that. I don't, I'm not even friends with that. You can't even put that shame near me. I despise that shame. Preach
0: it. Yeah.
1: And so don't <laughs> yeah. put that on me. That's I'm despising. Good.
0: That's good. It. But
1: I think until we can despise the shame, I don't mm. think we can leave the 99 for the one. Because the truth is, is going for the one yeah. generally raises some eyebrows in yeah. this, and so when I ultimately was invited to officiate a former intern's a seminary intern's wedding to um, his husband, um, I said yes without a pause because. You're a Midwesterner, so you'll get this too. But you know, uh, the black top on highways—you know, if it's all in, if it's just warm all the time, no potholes. But, but as soon as there's like a little crack in that black top, and then then the snow falls on it, and then the water leaks into it, and then it freezes and is cold, and then it breaks out part the whole journey. And I, I think shame is like that. And so I think anytime you have a pause when somebody asks to be loved, it's like that asphalt. You create a space where then shame, which is like liquid, just leaks into that. Mm. And if you can keep somebody in a warm environment forever, then then no problem. But I can't do that. People got to live in the world with evangelicals, man. <laughs> it's going to get cold. And, so, and, it, and that's going to then break apart their whole yeah. journey. And so I said, yes, I'll officiate yeah. this wedding. And um, and then set about to, to learn how to despise the shame that evangelicals were going to put upon me mm-hmm. um, because of that conviction that I'm just going to walk with whomever God places in my path without me choosing whom I have a preference for. So, indeed, it has led to me uh, having credentials in the denomination being suspended. It, it, uh Ended with, you know, it ended up meaning I was fired twice from my job as campus pastor. I was exited. Um, uh, the, the information given was that I had committed an ethical violation, and I, therefore I'd been suspended in the best interest of students. So they painted me as somebody who had done something immoral rather than breaking a rule. Um, I had to move out of my housing, lost my income, and... And you, you called me somewhere in the middle of that, and and I'll add you to the list of um, after two decades of traveling and preaching and being in hundreds and hundreds of churches and communities, I've heard from less than two dozen pastors in mm. the last eighteen months. Mm. And so you you have to learn how to live in uh, what it means to be shunned. Yeah. Uh, that that's a and this is how I know that we are we might. Evangelicalism might be real. Like, if you're shunning, I, I, that, that's some real evidence that you're in some sort of cultish behavior. That if you can't be with us, then we can't even touch you. Yeah, it, it's it, there's sickness in it. Now, I I, I, don't, I know it's rooted in fear, which means they need to walk through the valley of the shadow of death a little more, so they fear no evil. Um, but but. Yeah, it, it has definitely been crazy. But as I tell Marcus and Rowell, the gentleman whose wedding I officiated, still the best wedding Worth I ever it. did. Worth it, yeah. <laughs> and not the best wedding. I mean, everybody's love is beautiful, but yeah. they had fought so hard to deal with their yeah. own uh, stories and to come out and then to fall in love and to want to lay down their lives for one another and to get to proclaim that privilege of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, it was It was amazing to be in a place where, it had nothing to do with the decorations or the dress and everything to do with mm-hmm. we get to lay down our lives for each other forever. Mm-hmm.
0: So beautiful and painful. And I didn't I haven't asked you this question before, but I'm I'm assuming and making some and I'm, I'm questioning. So I am gonna ask you, how so two dozen pastors have reached out or connected, but how many people have you heard that have mm-hmm. said, I wish I could do what you do? I wish I could be an advocate or an ally, but I just can't, I can't give up my, my job. I can't give up my benefits, my housing. I mean, how many have you heard? Cause I'm sure there's, I, I've, I've heard it and i you know, I haven't, I didn't really give up a ton as you did. I mean, I, I took a step away and and at that point knew that it was time to be able to freely advocate. But I still have people who say like, I wish I could, I just can't. I'm like, part of me gets frustrated with that, you know? I. I so anyway, how
1: yeah. Yeah, when I when I so I I went through the process of being suspended. I sat through several church hearings, um, hearings that are generally designed for somebody who's again broken a moral yeah. uh, thing. And so I, I kept saying, "You you understand that that I didn't." I broke your rule. I didn't. I didn't embezzle yeah. money. This isn't. This is not a faith crisis for me. This is a church crisis. Those are very different things. And mm-hmm. I think um, that would be a word that I, I would tell anybody. Especially, so I grew up in this denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. I mean, that's my home, and uh, this is most of my connections and life. And and so it can it, it, people can mistake that for a faith crisis. Oh no, I, yeah. it's because I it's because I'm so deeply in a good place yeah. that I despise the shame. Yeah, And I kept saying, like, I didn't, like, trip and fall into officiating a gay wedding. Like, I I was, like, in a really good place with Jesus that I could endure the cross and despise the shame Mm. of that for the joy set before me. And so I I do think—I have a husband who works uh, at United Airlines, loading and losing our luggage— Bless Wait, and
0: you just said that is awesome. I love yeah, that you just like, said that.
1: Yeah, because like, let's be honest, it doesn't all get where it needs to be, right? And so but he's very faithful, very faithful. He, he's trying to find all your luggage and get it to the right flight. He, he works, you know, he works oh on God. the ramp and, and doing every bit with that. And and he's he is. Um, I'm thankful. He so he great. is a faithful human being that oh. um, has a has a good job, and so therefore, I have my health benefits through him. Uh-huh. Um, and so there, there is some, you know, that, that we're not, we didn't give up, like we have an income, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not Mm -hmm. destitute in this decision. Um, we don't have children. And so I do, I, I want to speak, I think, honestly about the fact that I don't know, what that decision looks Mm. like. If you're like, I'm my kids are moving Mm. out of their home they have to change their school district. Mm -hmm. Um, My kids also have to despise the shame. Mm. Like I I don't have to, I don't know what that's like. So I I think there's some privilege in that in both places, again, of having a spouse who works and holds my benefits and who, um, and I don't have children. The privilege of not having children is the freedom to make, uh, to count the cost for yourself and not have to navigate that for little ones or big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, but I do have to say I get a little weary mm-hmm. of the. Um, it would be along any number of lines, though. Like, oh, I really believe that we should not build the wall. I really believe we should do work on race, but my church would never be interested. Right. What? Right. Well, be a better pastor, man. Teach them. <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? You've been pastor in there ten years, and your your church can't talk about race or immigration or gender or sexuality. You're really failing your pa- You're failing your congregation if you haven't created a place where people could have conversation about real life and disagree and move and evolve and mm-hmm. come back around and argue and still have coffee yeah. man yes and so i don't i don't i don't have a lot of patience for we can't have the conversation mm. because i i think that's nobody's fault but the people that are shepherding the people mm. into a way of living where you can't have conflict that's good what's you conflict is good stuff. Like my uh, conflict transformation person said to me once, you know, what gets clothes cleaned and I'm like, soap, water. And, and they said, no, you know what it is? It's that it's the thing the in the rubbing. middle that uh, creates the friction. Yeah. That's, it's clothes clean and she, you want them to know what makes roses grow and i'm like pruning and sun and water and they said no nah, shit shit makes roses grow <laughs> and i i i thought you know we're That's so good. afraid of yeah. that stuff but the, the truth is um that that sort of it's called an agitator that center of yeah. the the wasp machine i guess I is love what that. Yeah, and and not to, like, really preach, but in the parable of the sower and the seeds, and I only ever really heard about, oh, the world choking us out and yeah. grief and pain making us not grow and wither and, and oh, be good soil. But the truth is, is the well-worn path is the only place nothing, place nothing grows. Mm. Uh, the enemy just snatches away whatever was on that well-worn path, that a well-worn path has to be disturbed. You have to upturn that soil for anything to grow. And and I, I think we're not doing a very good job at that.
0: I lo- I mean, if you're a pastor or a leader listening to this, I think this is really good wisdom, and it, it can start with the confession and admission that you haven't been good at leading these conversations. I think that's actually a great place to start, to recognize, like, you know what? I have failed. I haven't been as, as meaningful and intentional around these conversations. I have dismissed the conversations. I, I feel, gosh, I was a part of a church that we had our, I think it was our 50th, 60th, I don't know, some major anniversary on the Sunday after 9-11. And we went ahead with the big anniversary celebration, And we barely even acknowledged 9-11 because this is what we were supposed to do. Like we had planned all this stuff. And I look back at that and I think I learned so much from that mistake. We are as a church community, we are so programmed sometimes to do the Sunday routine as a Sunday routine. And we don't make time for what's really like, that's one hour out of 168 hours of the week. And there's so much happening and there's so many people and and stories. And I I think I really like that image of the laundry. Like I, I love the idea. Like, Maybe even like the clothes rubbing together, right? Like the clothes rubbing yeah. together yeah. in that space. Like, I need what you're bringing to the conversation and this rubbing and this connecting and this, like ah, disagreeing and, and massaging through it and pulling and pushing. And I think that's really, really beautiful. I want. There
1: was a. Yeah. Go ahead. There was an article today in the Scientific American blog network. So I follow all sorts of random news stuff since I'm not on Facebook or whatever. Um, But I do. It's not like I'm isolated from the world. But I'm a huge reader. And so I follow and I love I love neuroscience uh, as a closet. I'm a closet neuroscience junkie. So I read all sorts of books about why we think the way we think. And because I think a lot of times we attribute things to, oh, this is just me or it's just the bad way you discipline your mind mm-hmm. or or it's sin when i'm like it's not really sin it's just kind of fleshy like we we are opposed to conflict because we need the group mm-hmm. um, in a in an evolutionary way you know you're you're much safer in the herd mm-hmm. and so like don't do anything to upset the the herd, because yeah. then you'll get separated from the herd. And, and so, but you have to tell yourself, I'm actually not in a herd. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm actually could be separated and I don't die in the same way. Like when your mind needs to do a lot of work, your, your mind is not moral. It's just efficient. And so biases and prejudices, it's just because your brain uses the most energy of any other part of your body. So it wants to make everything streamlined. And so it, it, it wants to preserve energy. So it says, don't think about that. Don't think new thoughts. Don't, Think opposite thoughts. Don't do that. And so uh, what I tell people is just remind yourself you're going to get lunch because mm. that's just the pattern of when you didn't get to eat. Mm. So just when I'm going to go into a good conversation, I'm like, don't worry, brain, you're yeah. going to have lunch. You can do a lot of this good work. But anyway, in Scientific American, a blog network this morning, it came up an article written by um, somebody who is a Middle Eastern person and a, a white individual, both men, but that said today's biggest threat is the polarized mind. And um, they said, to counter it, we're, we're calling for a mobilization of mindfulness practices and dialogue groups that allow us to think opposite thoughts, basically. Mm. And um, it, it is that if you have to be an either-or sort of person, this world is eventually going to explode here, mm. um, that you have to actually practice the discipline of saying you might be right, too. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not saying you are, and I'm not saying I'm wrong, but you might be right too. Interesting. And I think that that is a very difficult discipline yeah. to do and not to um, go into seventh grade science, but my sister-in-law Susie taught me once how to make an edible brain. And she put, um, an M&M, a marshmallow and a fruit roll up. And she said, if you have an M&M, that's your reptilian brain. That's the center of your brain. Even reptiles have it. It's all your fight or flight. It's all your... Uh, survival mechanisms. It's reproduction. (laughs) If you're a seventh grader, you know, like but it's all those sort of primal things and it's an M and M because it's what you want when you want it. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's caffeine. That part of your brain's easily stimulated um, by adrenaline. And if you put that M and M inside of a marshmallow, a marshmallow is your limbic brain. It's all the emotional navigation of life. It prefers what's soft over hard, what's sweet over sour. Um, And it's kind of an, a dopamine, um, addict, it, it loves a pleasure drug and tries to avoid losing it. And then if you were to wrap both of those in a fruit roll-up, a fruit roll-up is your cortex, and it's everything that has to stretch in order for you to be a healthy human being. It's all your delay of gratification. It's all believing opposite things are both true, like mm-hmm. um, die is to gain, um, to become poor, you become rich. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most of the gospel is navigated through the fruit roll-up, through the cortex. But the church has been making people afraid of things and feeling things, um, working in the M&M and the marshmallow for so long mm. that now when we ask people to think, it feels violating. Yeah. Um, it feels too complicated. Oh, man. And
0: we need to be thinking now. We need to be thinking and rethinking. That's This whole year for me has been, gosh, I was a part of a herd for a long time, and, you know, it was a good herd. I was glad for the herd. The herd taught me a lot, and now I'm kind of going over here going, ah, I think a little different, and that's okay, you know, and uh, I want to relearn or unlearn. And um, my daughter and I just had this really, like, short, simple conversation just yesterday that made me think about what you just said about the complexity of how we think. She's a huge Fuller House fan. So she started watching Fuller House on Netflix. Then she binged it. Then she went to watch Full House, you know, the prequel to her, right? And then yesterday she said, Dad, Aunt Becky might go to jail. I said, <laughs> I said, Yeah, Lori Laughlin, right? The actress, you know, she she's like, Oh my gosh, that's really bad. I said, Yeah, you know what? She did make a bad decision. She did make a really bad decision. It's scandalizing, it's bad and it manipulated to hurt people. But she's still a good actress. She's still a human being that deserves, you know, a fair trial. She like, do you think she really did it? I'm like, yeah, she really did it, honey. She, she needs to go to jail. She needs to whatever. But I said, it, it elevated this little conversation, but she's still human. You know, she doesn't deserve for us to shame her. Um, she, gotta, she has to pay consequences. And that small little conversation, I, I saw my daughter get it. Like, I wonder if she was asking me, can I still watch Full House? She didn't say that, but I was like, yeah, enjoy it. You know what I mean? This idea that we are complex people and you might be right, I might be wrong, but I'm trying to learn the best, or we
1: both might be right. Yeah. There and you go. this is again in this sort of scientific yeah, world that the that the church decided there could be no mystery left in. Yeah. And and so like the mystery is how can we both be right when we believe different things? Right. Well, maybe in living together, something that is right exists. Oh, okay. Maybe it's not in our conclusions, but in the way we live with one another that is the right thing. And I don't um Again, I'm not looking for the truth. I'm looking to walk with the one who's true. Mm-hmm. So even though I love all this knowledge and I, I could debate the heck out of somebody on a lot of things, I, I don't really have much of an interest anymore. I Hey, what, what, what do you think? Who are you? Like, um, in what ways do we rescue each other, you know, from the smallness of our worlds and... Um, but again, some of this is also the privilege. I'm not on Facebook. I think there's probably a lot of people that are really jerky that I know that I don't know that they're jerky because <laughs> I only see them face to face. Yeah. And the truth is, is most people, if they have to look somebody in the face, are much, much kinder Yeah. Um, than they would be if they could post something. And I've learned about people, man, they can be mean online and they find yeah. a way to get your email or to say what they need to say or to post what they need to post. And and I don't know what that unkindness is about. I mean, I'm just made of flesh and blood like everybody else. And I don't know why people are defending the Bible like it's a living thing. Jesus was alive, but the Bible is just a bunch of pages in a book that has truth that can be living and active in it. Mm Um, but you don't need to defend it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't hurt the Bible. And we don't worship I mean, the Bible. Like, that's no, the, we're not Bible idolatrists. Yeah. And 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 like, but maybe we need to not make sure we don't hurt people. Yeah. Um, and and they're much more fragile than we think. That I, I think I know. And. And I, I wish people could be a little more careful with each other.
0: I think that's a good call to action about, I mean, even this week, this this conversation will come out the day after Easter. So, you know, one of the most important you know times for us of reflection in the life of Jesus and as the church, and many people will fill up buildings with crosses on it all across the, the country and the world. But to actually sit with people and hear their story, and I think you're so right. We, I mean, I love social media, and I try to be a good citizen on social media, but I have had people say to me, um, oh, you should check out this person before you work with them. You should check out like them on social media because they're just like, wow, they're very opinionated. And and at times I will go down that route and go, yeah, you know what, let me check them out. But then other times I'll tell myself, maybe I just need to meet with them first before I make a judgment about what they're putting out on social media. And then and then go back and see because if they're vit, venomous on social media but they're different in person, what is that about? You know what I mean? It makes me want to ask them yeah. and bring that into the
1: conversation. And I you should have that as one of your six questions. Would I recognize you on social media?
0: Huh? Yeah.
1: Um. Because I I think there's a lot of discontinuity. Yep. And from what I again from what I hear I yep. I don't know don't have these. I don't get to follow that way. But but um, but, you but people know, screenshot me stuff, and I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> how come that person said that? It's so rude. Are I'm you just, getting like rude?
0: Are you getting screenshots of of people like just like random stuff, or stuff that pertains to you, or the church world, or what are you talking about?
1: Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it can vary because of my whole world is, you know, most of the people I'm hanging out with are under 35 that are junkies. And so when they're when they want me to see a conversation about anything, it can Uh be about who's breaking up with who or Uh can you believe my mom said this or I mean, it can be (laughs) a number of things. And then it it can be although um, things that are said about me. But one of the things that's been so tender to me is, um, you know, the. The students I, the people that I actually pastored, none of them, none of them are. I'm just still pastoring them all from a distance. Sure. So right now I'm doing a lot of Skype, I'm doing a lot of video chat, I'm doing a lot, a lot of emails, a lot of phone conversations because I'm I'm not as present in their life physically, but they, um, you know, in in that in that sort of exchange of life, I, I think people are just. I, I, I think it's so wounded and, and mm-hmm. they get by it. And so they've been so protective of me. Mm-hmm. And so even the first email you contacted better mm-hmm. together, Cove. Yeah. Um, when you contacted that, they, they said to me, um, pastor Judy, we're going to set up an email that will attach. So if people want to contact you, they can, but we'll vet it all. Yeah. So the truth is, is they have vetted a ton of emails. Um, but I have not heard anything that is yeah. unkind. That's cool. And I've been very grac- grateful for these young adults. Um, I think the hard part is, is they're hearing some of that sort of visceral stuff from the church. And then I'm having to tell them, no, 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 the body of Christ is still good. Mm-hmm. Because people write to the, this email, and then it's a bunch of young adults that are vetting it and going like, and that, that generation's barely tethered to the church. Yeah, uh, They love Jesus and Jesus' kingdom, but they're trying to figure out, man. Do I want to sit in the church when people are this mean? Yep. And and I I think well I don't know. But let's still gather together, and worship and do the sacraments. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. Uh, but I I don't know if it's going to. I don't know if we can keep living with so much of that very ugly behavior unexhorted. Yeah. At some point in time, we're going to need to say. Uh, this is not okay.
0: Yeah. And you I alluded be- to it earlier. It goes back to the power, right? Those those places of power within the church. And I think we're going to be seeing a very different church emerging. It already is emerging. It already is. Yes. It's yeah. it's becoming and it's beautiful. And every one of us has this opportunity to be a part of that story. And yeah. I think, you know, I, I guess I'd ask you as we end here, what are some final thoughts around what it looks like, you know, with what you're doing and your involvement with the church, quote unquote, Um, But just encouraging my listeners, they're all over the board, but a lot of them come from places of churches uh, that are, you know, what's the word? Actively discerning what they think about the LGBTQ community and then how they're going to exist in that space or others who feel like I don't really go to a Sunday gathering. I'm just trying to figure it out. I've been too hurt. So I guess I'd love to know what you're thinking about the church as you move forward from the space and what would you encourage others as they actively discern as well?
1: Well, I I I think it at the very core, I would encourage people to do work and around what is a faith crisis and what is a church crisis, mm-hmm. um, and, and because I there are a lot of things in the hierarchy and institution of the church that I think it's okay okay that we're going to be done with, mm-hmm. and they support capitalism well and the Monday through Friday work schedule well and paid pastors who, and churches that were a lot about, some about worship and others about being a person who attended that particular space, I think a lot of things are going to change. And I think it's okay okay to say goodbye to a whole bunch of those things. Um, And and I think what I, I, as someone who's done a lot of grief work, um, if I could use a parable real quick, of course um when we delivered lucy who was the first little girl we delivered we um the funeral director released the casket to us because we were going to bury her on land that my husband's family owned in the upper peninsula of michigan so we had the casket in the back of the car i remember stopping at best buy for a power cord or something and i remember the music you know like and i'm like how can life be going on mm-hmm. when i have a casket in the back of the car you know right and and um, we got up there, and because it, it it was um land that we needed to prepare. Um, uh, that casket was in the bedroom we slept in for a week. Now that seems so crazy, but what are you going to do? You're going to put her in the shed. And so at first that seemed so crazy, but, but we had work to do before we could bury her. And so we spent that week clearing a space in the woods, digging a grave, having a stone moved, naming and engraving, inviting a few friends to gather around. And, and at the end of the week, um, when we put that casket in the grave, um, and my husband was shoveling dirt over it, he said, God, so much I believe she is with you that I can bury her myself. Hmm. And I, if I could, this has been a long process for me. I, I uh, in life and in, in, in believing in resurrection, the joy set before me, this is not stuff I have arrived at in a day. This is not stuff I've grieved in a day that I think to begin as we deliver things that, that uh, into this world that may or may not live the way we thought they were going to live, to begin to do the work. What do you need to clear away? Where do you need to dig deep? Where's the heavy lifting? What do you need to name and engrave? Who needs to gather around? And when you're ready, I think you'll be able to say, God, so much I believe this is all with you, Mm. that I can bury these things myself Mm. And, uh, and believe for the resurrection of what's next. I'm a I don't have a cynical bone in my body. I'm an absolute optimist. I believe in the resurrection of the dead and live in a way that I don't believe death gets the last word. It gets a word for sure, Mm. um, but it doesn't get the last word. Mm. And, um, and I think if we can live in that space in, in when you're not in a faith crisis, you're just in a church crisis, then you can let things die and, and you can wait for them to be resurrected um, in a, excited way and because this will be the text the next week is the road to Emmaus is that when Jesus is raised from the dead he was unrecognizable is that what, what we lay in the earth and what comes out of it are two very different things and so keep your eyes open because what's being raised might not look like anything you put in the ground Ooh. um so that's
0: good the what what you put in the ground when it's raised may not look like anything you could ever imagine before that's beautiful it's no. beautiful. Well, Judy, thank you for your time. Uh, I wanted just to affirm you, as you were talking earlier, The I mean, all this is so worth it. And I know you know that. I know you know, but it's worth it for every one of us around you. And I know you feel um, championed in a lot of ways. I hope you continue to feel championed for what you are doing, but also for who you are. And you're so many things to so many people – but we didn't get to touch on it, but the fact that uh, I know I have listeners who have been through the pain and heartache that you've been through. Uh, And at the same time, I saw, I see you embracing this wild call to mother. Like you are a mother to 11 children, right? Right? Mm -hmm. And, And more that you, like the 11 children you didn't get to raise, but you birthed. And in the real earthly way of the ministry you've done, it's just... I don't know. It's not fair in a lot of ways. I don't like it that that's part of your story. But I, as someone who's been a listener and a witness to it, Again, that's why I'm like I get chills just thinking of your story. It is a really amazing story, and I'm grateful to know you and be a part of it. I love that we've been able to touch base on these conversations in this past year because it's helped me in my process to not feel alone to navigate through like what's happening, what do I think, yeah. how do I make sense of all this. Yeah. So, so thank you for sharing. I know that. Um, this is a sacrifice of your time, but also just of your personal, like you're putting it out. I know I'm going to put it out there in every social media channel It's going to be out there. So thanks for entrusting me with it. I really appreciate it. You're such a good person.
1: Can I offer, I, I know we're out of time, but can I offer yeah, one thing please. to those people yeah. who are um, struggling with... Um, primarily with fertility or singleness, or I'm not going to be a parent, or Mm -hmm. um, do you mind if I do two seconds? No, we're we're not out of time.
0: We'll we'll definitely do another podcast later, but please say what you need to say.
1: Okay. This feels really important to me because this feels important in queer theology too, for me. But uh, in in the beginning, when God says, be fruitful and multiply, what he meant was have sex and have babies. It's not a parable. Mm -hmm. You know, he really, what meant you to multiply by biological reproduction and to fill the earth, And when Abram is called and and God makes a covenant with Abram and he says, um, and picks Abram and his old wife, and he says, I'm going to make your offspring like the stars of the sky. The reason these sort of commissions were so compelling in that culture is because the surrounding gods are all gods of fertility. All the Baals are gods of fertility. It's something they can't control. And they've created a God uh, that they give sacrifices to in an effort to control biological fertility. So when Yahweh comes up, along and is going to uh, is going to compel people that he actually is the one true God, he speaks the language of the surrounding culture, and he says, watch, I'm going to do with this old man and this old woman what you're sacrificing for, and I'm just going to bless them with it, mm-hmm. and and biological fertility is, is the language God is using, I believe, in the Old Testament to proclaim God's self to be bigger than all the surrounding idols, and he heals every woman of infertility in the Old Testament. Every story that mm. comes, and I think it's the concession for multiple wives, um, mm. is, is because I think biological reproduction is the language God is speaking, because it's the language of the culture. And, and when Onan spills his seed, do we think this is about masturbation? Oh, please, can we think bigger than that? This is about his refusal to participate in the biological, numerical, reproductive plan that God has to proclaim God's self. Bigger, more powerful, more true, more real than all the surrounding gods. Elizabeth is the last person in the biblical text that battles infertility and has a child in old age. You could mention Anna in there as well. She doesn't she's mentioned as childless, and she's in the temple awaiting Christ. Um, but but both of those stories, are either come before Christ or are fulfilled in Christ. After that, in the New Testament, in the second half of the scriptures, after Jesus comes on the scene, biological fertility isn't even mentioned. Hmm. It, in, in fact, uh, he says, it's it, the Apostle Paul says in Jesus' models, you don't even need to be married. Hmm. Not once is the commission given to go um, make nuclear families. In, in fact, who's my mother father, sister, brothers, aren't the people that are gathered here in front of me. And so this radical reorientation away from the nuclear family and away from biological reproduction into people being born again Mm. and being made into disciples is what New Testament fertility looks like. And I think that the church has continued to lift up and idolize Old Testament fertility because, man, having sex and having babies, what does it cost you? It's just natural, right? Mm. But actually doing New Testament fertilities means that you welcome the stranger, you make a home with the immigrant, it means that you love other people's kids like you would have loved your own, um, it means you share your mm. resources in common, and so the nuclear family, man, it's a coup for capitalism, mm. but you really can't defend it much uh, in regards to New Testament Formation. And, and if we actually understood New Testament fertility, helping people be born again um, and, and come into new life in Christ versus just have sex and have babies, well, then everybody gets to be involved in that. Yeah. Um, because single people can do that, gay people can do that, men can do that, women can do that, infertile people can do that. Anybody can help people come into new life. But this focus on the nuclear family Mm. has now left most of my friends who aren't able to have children, Mm. most of my friends who are single or who have been widowed or um, has made them feel out of most of the messages of the church that's still focusing on the family. It has made them feel like it's less than good news for them. So I am very New Testament fertile. A lot of my (laughs) Students call me NT mama, you know, and, and, um, and so I, I, want to encourage people. There is, it doesn't, it doesn't mean there isn't loss and pain. Um, always when somebody else is carrying something full term that miscarried for you, whether that be justice Mm. or a pregnancy is painful. Mm. Um, and there is a paradigm in scripture that says it's not second class. Mm.
0: I, I yeah, and I that compels me to say I am so sorry to those in the church and out that we have made feel second class citizens. We have, I you know, I, uh, so like I hate even having to say this, but you know, in the church I was a part of, um, I remember going, hey, our mission is going to be around families. And that's a good mission to have. Um, But then when there was pushback, like, well, what about the single people? You know, what about the person who's divorced? What about the person who doesn't have, you know, doesn't have children? Um, It was hard because in business language, we had to say, well, this is our target. You know, we'll hit the target. And if there's things around the target, then that's great. Mm -hmm. But we have to solidify this mission and put money and resources and program and people behind it. And now I look back as I hear you, I'm going, man, that's so hard because the message to everyone else is you're not on the target, you're not the priority. And so I love what you just said. It's so convicting, and that, that that means you know that goes back to my institutional frustration as a church. Like it's gonna be messy. It's not gonna be a nice little thing you put in your in your window in the sanctuary that you're gonna be able to to live out like to, to, to the mission statement. If it's all about families in this nuclear way, and um, I think especially the LGBTQ community has been condemned so many times over when people say, "But you can't multiply. This is not God's yeah. design." And so Correct. I love that. I love. Of that i think that's yeah and i and
1: i think we really I, I mean i think there's reasons god created um well the truth is the first being that god created is intersex but this when he divided the first being into two and he created a man and a woman i think there there are there are bio, there are reasons within the storyline of biological fertility that that is done but i don't think it's the last word
0: yeah I um, think it's a word for sure
1: in the story of God when he is speaking over and against particular gods of the particular time. And and so I think we need to think about what are the gods of our time? Um, how, where are we idolizing them? And, and yeah. where does the story yep. um, need to come over and against them and be better news yep. um, than what we're offering? Better so.
0: news. Yeah. And so listeners, holy cannoli, cannolars, no church is going to meet all of your needs. Uh, no church can, can do that. But I love this idea of reframing and rethinking. What does the church look like for you? What is it look like for you to gather, to find people who you love and love you, will accept you, will wrestle, will be that, that laundry machine, that agitator to deal with and have deep dialogue, be a deep diving person, to bury things that need to be buried and resurrect what needs to be resurrected. Thank you, Judy. This was so good. Thanks, Tony. Uh, I would love to have you back uh, on the podcast. And if you enjoyed Judy, you can not find her on social media. But what <laughs> I will do is I will post a she did a really beautiful uh, letter that described her journey over the past couple of years. And I'll post a link to that in the show notes so that you can read more about Judy's journey. Anything else you want to say, Judy?
1: No, if anybody wants to contact me, they can contact you, and you can tell me.
0: <laughs> okay, there you go. I will vet it. I'll vet it.
1: <laughs> yeah, but be in groups that are different than you. But just try to be kind, man. Don't be yeah. mean. <laughs> and, and, um, i glad to. I'd be glad to have the conversation with anybody who's seeking to be kind. Awesome. But I, I, I'm just flesh and blood. So awesome. anyway, but if somebody wants to contact me um, at, uh, they can do it at Better Together Cub. Better Together, C-O-V, at gmail.com.
0: Awesome. We'll be in the show notes. We'll say goodbye to everyone else, but Judy, don't hang up because I want to talk to you. Okay. Bye, everybody. Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud, proud production, production of, Brave of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax-deductible donation today. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe. Give it a review and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it.